Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alzheimer's Speaks Radio Show. I am so pleased you could join us this evening. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks International Resource for Dementia, blog and radio, and I am just thrilled with our show tonight, and I will introduce our guest in just a minute, but I always like to tell people a little bit about who we are, and why we do what we do, because we always are getting new listeners. And so here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss, along with their care partners, both family and professionals, so that we can empower everyone to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as it. Our channel expert, who actually has early onset, is Rick Phelps, and I never know if Rick is going to be able to join us or not, so if he is able to, I will definitely pull him into the conversation. Um, Rick is the founder of Memory People. If you're not familiar with that, Memory People is a closed group on Facebook uh, for people who have early memory loss. Their care partners, again, both professional and family, as well as advocates and people in general who want to learn more about the disease. It's a real safe place to go to find compassion and wisdom on a street level where people talk in real-life terms what is working and what's not. And so it's just a great, great place to check out. If you haven't um, if you haven't tried Facebook and um Memory people, please go there and then just put in the search bar, memory people, and ask to join the group. Here at Alzheimer's Speaks, we're just kind of a grassroots effort, and we're we're growing leaps and bounds. So I want to thank all of our listeners for helping us do that. And I would encourage you to continue to like us and share us on Facebook and tweet if you have a Twitter account or email an episode that you think might help uh, somebody out um, it's all about working collaboratively together. And tonight on our show, um, I would invite you all to join the conversation. Um, and you can do that by um, using your chat box if you're listening via your computer, or you can call in live and talk with us directly. And that number is 714 Again, that's 714-364-4757. Now, I'm very excited to have our guest with us tonight. Um, Meredith Sindel is um, 
is from Australia, and she was born and raised in country New South Wales, and she now lives in Sydney. After school, she continued communications, specializing in journalism, and later she studied honors in ancient history at the University of New England, uh, Armandale. She has written one novel called Erica about a friend who was killed in a car accident, and her book, Caring for Someone with Dementia, is a story that none of us want to journey. It is a story about having a parent be diagnosed with dementia. Um, None of us are ready to jump into that mode, and Meredith is is one of us. And so tonight she is going to share um, what she found on her journey um, with caring for her mother. And so with that, I would just like to um, welcome you, Meredith, to the show. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm well, Laurie, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a privilege. I'm very excited to be here. It's just wonderful to speak about dementia and the experiences that with other carers. Uh, great. That we can help other people, and, and we're learning all the time as we go along. That's what I'm finding. Yep, there are no black and white answers uh, to this disease because we're dealing with personalities and we're dealing with family dynamics and that has to be held into the equation. So one of my goals um, with all of my platforms is to help people gain insight and develop kind of a tool set of things to be able to try um, with their own personal situation so that they can be armed a little bit better Um, with the twists and the turns that come about with this disease. Can you tell us first a little bit about your your life as far as your relationship with your mom and when she got diagnosed? So maybe a little bit about what life was like before and then when she got diagnosed and then how it's it's, uh, transformed, I guess. Well, um, we lived together. My mother and I were best friends. Um, We were very very close and uh, we lived in the same house and with my brother who had Asperger's syndrome mum had always looked after him mum was an absolutely devoted mother and grandmother uh, she was very good with children and and she always knew what to do she was the most reliable person in the world and suddenly she started changing and she became prone to rages and I, I had no idea what was going on. I just couldn't understand why she was so angry all the time. She seemed to be angry at me and angry at the world. And I just, instead of working out what was wrong, well, I, I didn't have enough information at that stage to know what was wrong. but. Uh, we we would just argue and it was dreadful and the endless lists she was writing the lists were I mean if you want to write endless lists of course it's a device that people with um, in the early stages of dementia may may have I write lists when I go down the supermarket and I still forget things um, but uh, the lists of birthdays again and again and again and discussing the lists uh, to to the extent that I thought, oh, I'm going brain dead. I'm I'm as mad as she is. What's going on? 
and and just things like how do you remember you've taken your medication and she would take every pill out of the bottle and and count them and I'd say why don't you just tick off from the calendar when you've taken your tablet and no wasn't no 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 I'm counting she would say I'm counting don't interrupt me so it, it was quite some time before I realized what was going on and I think the word dementia did appear in my head a few times but um, I, I, I see dementia as a as a phantom or an entity and, and he would poke his head out of, of the shadows sometimes and then hide himself away again and then and then we'd go back to normal but um, we went on holidays and mum was becoming very frail. She'd had a hip operation that had gone badly and she was becoming very frail. And and uh, But she, she enjoyed the holiday in Queensland. We went to Queensland, mum, myself and my niece. And uh, she enjoyed the holiday. But on the way back, we had to rush to catch the, the train to back to Sydney. And if we missed that train, we were going to be in trouble. And we got to the station and the escalator down to the platform was like Mount Everest. And my niece was off on, on the platform like a, on the escalator like a little whippet. Away she went. And I got caught up in, in traffic too, human traffic. And from the, the bottom of the escalator I was calling up, wait there, wait there, I'll come and get you. Because I knew mum wouldn't be able to manage the escalator. And she had the vaguest look on her face. Just a vague, vacant look. She was not. She wasn't distressed. She was just vague and not there. And that was when I knew. And um, within a year, um, I was her full-time carer. And uh, I remember a, a, another time when electricity went down my spine, and she said, "Oh, we haven't had Uncle Harry over for uh, dinner for a while," or. Or she mentioned a relative who had long since died. And then she remembered and said, oh, he's dead, I must be going senile. And I said, oh, don't worry, Mum, you're fine. Well, of course she wasn't fine. Mm -hmm. And she had a bad fall and from the hospital bed she was saying such things as, your father came to see me last night, he's looking a bit thin, he needs a bit of fattening up, I think. And he, my, my father died from cancer when I was 27, so that made it about 20 years earlier. And uh, mum had looked after him until he died. And she was saying uh, that the same niece, uh, Elizabeth, had stayed in the broom cupboard that, that night that she was in the hospital to make sure she was all right. Well, of course, there's no broom cupboard in the hospital ward, is there? So um, then it became obvious. And... And um, what I had been fearing, um, it, it all came out of the, the, the cat came out of the bag. But, and, and the fear and the grief that came with it was absolutely phenomenal because, as I say, she was the most important person to me. Uh, I know that may sound strange, but it's true. Uh, we had separate lives. Um, I had studied and mum did her community work and her church work and and but we all still lived together and um, 
and, and it, it, it was a good arrangement. Uh, my yeah. brother had had died by then, and that was another indicator when my brother died. Mum hardly turned a hair. I mean, my brother was a vulnerable person. He was what we call um, a special thinker. And he just killed over from a cardiac arrest in front of her. After an operation, he had a blood clot that went to his heart. And and she showed no normal human response. And everybody was so outraged at her that she couldn't help it. She just mm-hmm. couldn't help it. Wow. Well, and I think everybody has that moment where you, you know, Prior to, you see the changes, like you saw all the lists, and you're still trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, and you think, why are they writing directions for something so simple? My mom had lists all over the house. I mean, she made a three-ring notebook of how to do her job. She was so fearful, and she was you know, trying so hard, and, um, and she hid a lot of the stuff. And, and, then, um, and then when we kind of got our light bulb moment, all of a sudden, we saw how much stuff she had hidden and how she really was trying so hard to put the pieces of the puzzle of life together so that she could still function and yes. and, and not you know not worry others that something was wrong um, but she definitely knew something was wrong and um and i think every family goes through that i don't think it's something that we just normally go oh let's just go get that checked out <laughs> you know um we just, yes. It's just not a comfortable, a not a comfortable thing. Well, why don't you tell us what motivated you to write your book, Caring for Someone with Dementia? I wanted to write the guide that would have been of help to me when I started caring for my own mother. Uh, I, I sometimes wish that she was alive again and I could do the whole thing again. Uh, I would do a lot of things differently. And um, and that's what I, I hope. So I hope the book will be of use to other people and other people with dementia. If we help people, if we help carers of people with dementia, then we help the, the person with dementia. I mean, if you look at the list of symptoms: memory loss, hallucinations, delusions. That can seem formidable, and um, it can seem an awful lot to deal with. So in the book, I tried to describe the problems that the symptoms brought to us and to give ideas for coping with them, to demystify, to make it all seem not so daunting. The the interesting thing is that when I took over the role of caring for mum, our relationship was rejuvenated again. We went back to normal. She was my lammy again, and I was her lammy. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, I tried to. People talk about. Uh, Glenn Campbell has talked about putting a, a human face on his illness, and and I talk about the same with my book, because and, and I'm sure uh, it has mum all over it because people who knew mum have read the book and and say, look, I've got tears rolling down my face. I can just hear your mum. I can hear you both speaking to each other. So in in that respect, I'm I'm really pleased. But um, I wanted it to be practical guide but also personal because otherwise you're just writing a textbook. And and as we know, your mum, my mum, they're all going to respond differently 
even with other illnesses, cancer, well, people are going to have different problems with the um, with their illness. And nobody with dementia is going to fit into a textbook sort of formula. So I, I, I wanted to make a very personal account. Um, and for a, a long time, I thought, I've done the wrong thing. Mum was such a private person. Uh, this is a, a rude thing to do to your own mother. But I was talking to somebody on Facebook, um, Norm Mack. Everybody knows Norm oh, Mack. Sure. And, and he said, why, why are we secretive about dementia? If it was cancer, we wouldn't be secretive about it. And, and all my, my guilt in that respect was just lifted off me like a blanket. And, and there's also justification for people with dementia. Uh, this person has led a vastly different life to the one that they have now that dementia hovers over them. Mm -hmm. My mum, I, I really don't believe in the use it or lose it theory. I mean, do, does the brain have muscles that need to be exercised? I, I really don't see it. And if if it does, well, mums were certainly exercised. A, um, my my parents met in the war. My mum wanted to do war work, so she joined the aeroplane factory that made Beaufort bombers. She she also had, um, uh, there are a lot of young American Marines over here, and uh, of course all the women thought they were wonderful, <laughs> and mum was friends with um, some of the um, American Marines, and they used to buy a gin slings, but the, uh, she'd met my dad already at the aeroplane factory, and she only had eyes for him, I'm afraid, that young Americans didn't have a hope, um, but she enjoyed their company, and um, she, I think they would have enjoyed her too. She was fun, my mum. She was fun. And after after the war ended, they went farming. My parents, they're both city people, but they went farming, which is pretty brave. And that was where we were raised, on the dairy farm that you talked about on the far south okay. coast of New South Wales. Okay. And mum was always reading and dissecting, and, and it was really... Um, only in those last years, only in the last years that dementia came over the hill with these bag of unpleasantries. You know, and and I, I think the safest way to approach the relationship now well, at any stage uh, that the, of the illness is to believe and to hope that there is still a remnant of that old persona still there. And I can say in mum, uh, even though she had severe symptoms she had very bad delusions um if that's all you saw then you didn't see mum there was much more than that to mum the old persona was most certainly still there uh, i love i love that comment if that's all you saw but so many people see that because that's all they're looking for that's all they hear about is the fear and the demented and the loss and the grief, because that's what everybody talks about, and they don't talk about the the person who continues to leave, you know, live and breathe and engage in life. And if we're not willing to engage them, yeah, they are going to curl up and die, and they are going to pull away, just like anybody does at any stage of life. So it's it's really important to to see the whole person and to to teach ourselves some new things. I also want to make comment. You had um, talked about 
you know, one of the reasons you wanted to write the book was um, to to help out the next guy. And to me, that's one of the <laughs> gifts of this disease is it brings this level of compassion to people who are dealing with it that say, oh, my God, th- we know we've got to make it better for the next one. And and people are, are going out there and doing huge things to make a difference and saying, you know, things in our dementia care culture and our societies all around the world have to change. And people like you are giving voice, people like myself, like Norms, like Rick, um, like Richard Taylor. There are, there are so many voices of all sizes that matter that are dealing with this, saying we can do better. But in order to do better, we have to work together, and we have to do what Norms McNamara says. We have to talk. We have to have open discussions about what's working, what's not working, so that we can have better lives for both the people who are memory impaired and those that are are caring for them. That's just a a critical, critical piece of the pie. The other um, comment that I liked that you made was you, you talked about um, that this illness is, is um, you know, is very personable, and um, we have to treat the disease as um, as an individual, and we have to respect that this is a very person personable um, personal. I can't say the word tonight. Personal disease, and so we have to treat it like that. We can't just make this this black and white machine where everybody's going to jump in line and follow the rules because, Lord knows, it does not work like that. <laughs> Anyways, it sure as heck didn't for me, um, basically at any stage of the disease. And, and I've been, you know, my mom's still alive, but we've been on this for 30 years. And even with others, it, it takes a personal approach to make some major impact and changes with that. Um if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with our audience um, maybe some of your biggest challenges that you faced when you were caring for your mom and, and then telling people how you coped with those challenges. Mama had become extremely frail, and when I look back, I, I think that was to my advantage as a carer because she couldn't Wanda, um, she well, she would have tried had I not been there, but she would have fallen uh, and ended up in hospital again. Uh, the the major problems for Mum were depression and delusions. She did have some hallucinations, but the hallucinations weren't distressing to her. There was a little boy she could see in our house. I saw her wave to him one night. And she said, oh, he's a nice little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was extremely puzzling at the time. And and I went to our GP and got some Zyprexa. Mm-hmm. Um, again, with the, with the usual trepidation when you're medicating somebody else. But um, I, I look back on that too and I think, well, what could I have done? Because even though that hallucination wasn't distressing, she was up at one one o'clock in the morning, um, getting pillows to put on the dining room table, of, to make a bed for the little boy so he wouldn't fall off. 
Mm. Mum was brilliant with children. She after she did farming, she worked in the children's home. She was she she understood children. Um, hopefully, the way well, I was going to say the way I understand dementia, I, and then I, I should add hopefully, um, because do we? But her delusions were a, a major problem. Um, the uh, in those years that I cared for her, she rarely knew where she was, but she remained convinced, absolutely convinced, that she was the one who knew where she was, and the rest of us had gone balmy because we clearly didn't. Uh, when are we going home, she'd say. And of course, when you're first confronted with this, you, you say, Mum, we are home. And, and, and then she felt um, patronised, uh, squashed, I suppose, not listened to. Uh, and, and she'd get outraged and, and, and say, how did I raise such stupid children? And, and then we'd look at each other and want to laugh. And, and maybe I should have put in the book, when you feel the need to laugh over something, leave the room. Um, because you do laugh sometimes, and I think that's all right. Uh, none of us are perfect people. I, I'm certainly not a saint. I wasn't before, and I wasn't while I was looking after Mum, and I'm certainly not now. But I tried, and I tried things, and that's all you can do. And I found that the application of logic just did not work trying to talk away a delusion or apply logic to it put a wedge between us and i learned pretty quickly or not quickly enough as i say all, all carers have are going to regret things um, i learned to to, to just be calm about delusions to become and and the the more calm I was the the quicker they left it was like um they needed some justification it, it's a very strange thing and sometimes I just give yes and no answers and then it is be gone mm -hmm. but um mostly that didn't work and what you do when when the delusion is entrenched what I did anyway was you change direction you change the thinking go out if sure. you can uh, um, sometimes often in the night mum would want to go home so uh, I'd put her in the wheelchair and we'd go down to the supermarket and she'd talk to the people on the, on the checkouts one of the uh, ladies there I see her every day I mean you, we, we factor into our support networks all manner of different people and those people were most definitely factored into my support work our support work I should say mum's as well mum got a lot of company from them uh, it was the same with depression and other miseries if you can get out of the house go and feed the seagulls at the beach go for a cup of coffee getting out of the house works a miracle every time every yeah, time it's, it's amazing Illusions always it? came back they always came back but mm -hmm. they always went again and the more calm I was about them the um the quicker they left. Okay, well that's that's good. And, um, and and don't you think part of it is your your being calm? I mean, because we feed off one another's energies and moods. And so we if if we get upset and if we get snappy or if we get frightened, they feed on that. And they, you know, yes. 
they might not be able to tell us that they're scared of the way that we're reacting, but they will react back because they still follow the same equation. It just, it you know, it doesn't quite take the same path, but it's um, it still is following the same equation that, you know, it's their current attitude plus their past experiences equal their perceptions, and then their perceptions trigger their reactions. And when we don't like their reactions, we call them behaviors. Um, but everything we do is a behavior, yes. you know. It's a reaction. And I like using the word reaction better because um, it's not it, it's not negative or positive. It just is. Um, and, it you know, it th- just is, yes. That's a good one. Reaction, yeah. not behavior. Yeah. The other That's thing a really that good I, one, Lori. I, I like, too, was you, you know, you almost sounded apologetic um, about laughing, you know, of what other people would say. And I laugh. My mom, I have, we have wonderful stories, and I have come to realize that, you know what, if she was healthy and she said that, I would be laughing my butt off. So why would I stop because she's she's ill? You know, because people who are sick, they still want a normal relationship, and laughter is, you know, at the very core of who we are when we're when you know when we're engaged with somebody we're close to that is for most people a very big piece of the pie other than you know love and respect um laughter and um you know enjoying one another's company is pretty huge and so i um, i always feel bad when people feel guilty because it's okay it really and it's normal and you deserve that and you need those moments you know, to me, oh, that, that's a lovely thing to say. That, that's a really lovely thing to say because um, it, when you're an ex-carer, you do count up all the millions of things that you you did wrong, and uh, that's a lovely thing to say. But you're you're right. Humans are only human, and when somebody dies, it doesn't mean that you don't feel the tragedy of it, that the tragedy weighs on you like a piece of cement. But um, you, you you bring out the funny stories, don't you? Yep. And 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 you laugh and and then cry and it, it's very human, yes. You but, know, I would, um, yeah, it it certainly it's it's what very, were you gonna say? It's a very healthy piece. I I, I interviewed Harry Urban, and um, he has dementia, and he made one of the most brilliant comments that I have ever heard, and it just it struck such a chord with me because we were talking about, you know, how um, how do you want, you know, if that moment comes when when his wife Hazel has to maybe place him in a home to be cared for or you know when he passes how does he want her to live and we got in this whole conversation um, on our dementia chats which is a a webinar series it's free of the public that I do and you can find information out about that on alzheimerspeaks.com if anyone's interested but Harry made the most brilliant comment about grief and loss and he said when I'm gone or when I have to be placed in a home you know, because chances are that time is going to come. He said, I don't want to be missed. I want to be remembered. He said, when we miss somebody, we think about all the sadness and everything that we lost. 
I want to be remembered for all that we had. Yes, yes, that's how we try to approach the relationship now. I mean, the relationship doesn't seem to end with death. Um, We still think of this person all the time. But when mum died and we were, um, I was with her, with my brother-in-law when she died. And it's like somebody just going away from you. And and I thought, what about me? We we haven't discussed this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How could, hang on a minute, wait. And <laughs> that's what she would have said. Well, we haven't discussed this yet. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's exactly how I felt. What about me? What am I supposed to do now, Mum? Yeah, we haven't discussed this. So uh, yes, it's it's a it's a time brings that to you, and um, the the rawness goes with time, of course. Uh, and often I I wish she was back, but but to we, we certainly remember her the way she was and um, in both states mm-hmm. uh, we love her in both states so but uh, yeah and she was such fun um, what the, um, your... it, she also um, when it came to delusions she also uh, thought that uh, relatives who were no longer living were um, alive again so um, that was a big one Mm-hmm. Um, her mother she looked for her mother all the time and um, it was like the ghost of grandma had moved into our house really uh-huh. uh, so um, she, she would say mum would say have you made um, breakfast for mother and in, in the end I'd just say yes yes I have yes uh, yes and no questions um, short and sweet, yes, yes, and mother's in, uh, dinner is in the oven waiting for her to come home from work. Yes, everything's fine. And, or sometimes I'd just say, look, I haven't seen her, it's just you and me and the cats for dinner, and then she'd start laughing. And um, mum often laughed at herself. She she did laugh at herself and her situation well, because lucidity uh, drips in and out. And um, she... and she'd always had a pretty strong sense of humor and and she laughed at herself or at me sometimes and or at both of us and then we'd laugh together well i think it you know i love how you you went with the flow of her reality and so many times we try to change their world and we and we can't you know we just can't change their world and so it's very important uh for you know, for us to uh, to go with the flow, and um, and be able to you know have that conversation because it it brings them calmness, and we're not going to change their mind at all, and so it, it's very very important to to um, do that. Now we've got somebody who was in the chat box was saying um, my father is suffering from Alzheimer's and. Um, he had a major, let's see, oops, I just saw it here. He's going to, I think, try to call in, but he had a major breakthrough with him last night. So we would love for him to call into the show and and hear what happened um, with his with his dad last night. And you can call in to 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714 714- 
364-4757, and then you'll just push one, and you'll get into my queue, and um, we will go from there. So, wonderful. Um, do you have a favorite memory of your mother, um, you know, with dementia, something that just, you know, you can you can think of it, and it just puts a smile on your face? Oh, yes. When when she she thought she needed a job, she was going to get a job. So we were down in the supermarket one day and she asked um, one of our regular people down there how much training you needed to, to get a job in the supermarket. And when we came home, I said to her, Mum, if you got a job, I'd have to come with you to push you in the wheelchair. And she started laughing, and she she impersonated the the mythical prospective um, employer, and 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 she said, "Who's that woman? Oh, oh, she's my daughter. She's my carer." And she just bent over, laughing and laughing, and uh, she thought that was so funny. Oh, cute! We've so, got our. Caller on line here, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to bring him in with us. And who do we have on the phone? Hello. Hello. Can uh, you tell us your name? And Yeah, my name's Dan. Dan, and where are you from, Dan? Virginia. Virginia. Well, welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We're glad to have you. We're interested to hear what your breakthrough was last night. Well... It started off early in the day. Um, he he lives at home with us. He's unable to care for himself, and unfortunately, I, I can't afford to put him in a nursing home. Um, okay. So I, I've been, uh, my wife and I have pretty much been his uh, primary caretaker. Okay. And um, yesterday, he woke up. He's been going through this thing where he's been sleeping kind of late when he used to wake up at about 7 every morning, and now he's waking up at about 10. Um, so it's it's kind of really progressed. But uh, yesterday he woke up, and we've got a lot of curtains in our house, so it, it's pretty dark downstairs. Mm-hmm. And um, he came up to me. And he said that he thought that he was having a dream, but he he was in the bathroom, and the lights were on in the bathroom. And I'm like, Dad, you, you weren't in the bathroom today. So I, I tell my wife about this, and uh, she doesn't know what to think either. And I walked into the kitchen to get him. I I, I give him a a warm uh, cup of milk every morning. Mm-hmm. And he had taken a giant steaming shit in the refrigerator. Oh. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. Yeah. And those things is happen that, sometimes. Is that normal? Well, it's it's. It's not abnormal. Um, you know, they really lose their way sometimes, and they don't really know what's what. Um, well, I can't you know, have I, him dumping in my refrigerator every day. No, no. 
Um, you might want to, you know, there are monitors that, that you can have in your house, um, and I don't know if that would be um, a possibility, you know, for you to kind of know when he's up and about. Um, yeah. That might be something to look into. Synjustix um, has a lot of... My biggest problem with it is it smells like a dead nigger in the kitchen. Okay, well, we're going to let you go because we're not going to talk like that, okay? So, okay, he has dropped. (laughs) Well, that was interesting. Oh, dear, that was a new experience. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And people do have all different kinds of experiences. And, um, you know, if that was supposed to be a joke, well, it wasn't funny. But, you know, there are a lot of people that do have problems with with urination and bowel movements. And so I wouldn't be surprised if something like that did happen. I've heard of similar things happening. And, uh, you know, yes. it's too bad. It's too bad. That, no, I was uh, going to suggest a, a, I was going to suggest a commode in his room, in uh-huh. Dad's bedroom, and a lock on the fridge. Yep, yep, and mm-hmm. uh, which I think would be wonderful suggestions uh, for someone to try. And, again, it's... It's you know it's a it's a crapshoot with all of these things in terms of what's going to work and you know you know if they're safe to be able to use a commode on their own or maybe it's going to get to a point where someone has to either um, do shifts you know with the family um, some families do that they just take shifts so somebody's awake all the time um, others might look for respite in the evening and uh, so that they can sleep. Um, others may look at placements, um, you know, or, you know, like you said, the lock on the refrigerator or lock on certain doors or even putting up um, kind of gates, kitty gates. Sometimes that will stop somebody. But, again, you don't want them to be tripping hazards. So you have to be, you know, you really have to know your person um, very well in terms of in terms of yeah. what, what's but what there. It, it's also a matter of what's your priority, Laurie. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've, you've taken on the role of caring for somebody, and I, he sounded so sad about not being able to afford to put Dad in a nursing home. And I was, I was contemplating, thinking, don't feel bad. You, you're in a privileged position, being able to care for for somebody. Yep. I yep. really do believe that that uh, we were cared for as as children and. And now it's our turn to to be the carer. I I really do believe that. Um, but and now I've forgotten what I was going to say, and and I wanted to say it. That's a shame. Then yeah. <laughs> everybody has their own but, limits of what they can do and can't do, and there's you know that's okay. It's good to know what your limits yes. are, and then to be able to research. And it might be time to call in a social worker or call in. Depending on where you're living, um, you know, in the world, um, that person might be a little bit different in terms of who you call, um, at, you know, for a resource. But talking to your local Alzheimer's associations, most of them have counselors. You know, they've got a 1-800 number, uh, geriatric managers. Um, might, you know, there's all different, there, there's lots of help out there. And so we just have to not be scared to pick up the phone and and have the conversation there. Um, I think also, uh, sorry, Laurie. Um, I think also when 
we we expect adults to behave in a certain way and, mm -hmm. and when they don't, that's frightening. I mean, kitty litter doesn't smell good either, does it? No. But I wouldn't be without my cats for anything, you see. Mm -hmm. So it, it's... Um, Actually, that I've got a new kitty litter now, so it does smell good. But, um, but it, I'm just saying it, it's a matter of what your priorities and how to adjust and and not be fearful. I think. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I wanted to ask you about some of the challenging symptoms, you know, that you had that you you saw kind of when Mr. Dementia would would rear its ugly head and. And how that challenged you as a as a care partner? Can you give us? I know you've given us some examples. I'm wondering if you can maybe give us a couple of others. I um I I remember thinking how separating the the symptoms can be sometimes if you if you let them, um, and and thinking why is she so quiet? What's she thinking? Is she happy? Um, is she all right? Am I doing any of it all right? Mm -hmm. um, be, being able to care for somebody else, we were talking about this earlier, is is a privilege, but but there's an awful awful lot of responsibility that goes with it too, and uh, that's also a bit of a shock to the system to take responsibility for an adult person. I think. Um, who isn't your spouse, or uh, I suppose if if there's a car accident or or something that that's you, you might be expecting that more, but um, dementia too uh, it comes from the blue, and it it can be that can be quite a surprise in 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 itself. Um, uh, when um, when I first was caring for Mum and she was first getting delusions. I did get somebody call some a geriatrician to the house. Um, a geriatrician from the mental health service, I think. And and later on, she said to me, Mum said to me, "What's wrong with me? What 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 are they saying is wrong with me?" As if she'd been stricken with the plague and she didn't know. You know, she'd got the Ebola virus or or something, and nobody was telling her. And um, and. And I thought, well, okay, here's my opportunity to be honest about this. And I said, um, they're saying you've got some memory loss, Mum. And there, uh, and I'd already found the dementia helpline, and we'd been offered uh, courses, which seemed to be a long time away. They were only a matter of weeks, but weeks can be a long time when you're um, getting used to delusions and. And Grandma roaming through the house in the night and, and such things, and so I, I offered this to her, and and she said, "But there's nothing wrong with my memory. I can remember my school my school days," and, and of course she could. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, okay, um, we're just going to have to work this out as we go along. Um, so. In that respect, I wasn't able to include mum in her own care. Uh -huh. Do you go with memory medication? I would have. I would have. But um, the system requires a CAT scan, uh, visits with a geriatrician, other tests. Uh, 
the, the people who came to the house that day did the mini mental on her and she was terribly affronted. What all these little tests? Who's the Prime Minister? What do these people think I am? Stupid. And, and so uh, for me, for us, it just would have caused misery. But it was um, something that I often worried that I'd done wrong. I just kept shelving it and thinking, well, don't worry about that, ma'am, so it will be all right. Um, back to that gentleman, um, I, I think everybody would feel a bit intimidated about the idea of doing personal care for somebody, an adult. And and I certainly did. In our family, put we don't put out other people's shoes and socks on for them. But but you get used to this stuff. It, it, it once you've helped somebody, once you can see the person needs you. And Mum came out of the shower one day with a towel wrapped around bits of her, and she was freezing cold. And and I thought, okay, I have to do this. And. And you take over, and and things like personal care become commonplace. Um, for us, the most important issue when it came to practicalities was medication. Mum was um, highly allergic to a antibiotic, and she was also prone to bladder infections, and it took at least three hospitalizations uh, at least two maybe three no I think it's three uh, and um, and mum spending two weeks in the nursing home before I worked that out that wow that that her sudden onset physical total immobility was down to this drug it's just an antibiotic and um, and we were so glad. We were just so glad because I thought, well, I can't even move her in, in bed. And and so she had to go to hospital. She had a bladder infection. And and from the hospital, she agreed to go to the, the little hospital, which was the nursing home. And um, I just went home and cried every night. Uh, and it was an awful place, and she hated it. And we were very glad to see her come home. She, uh, After a few days, she was trotting around with her stick again. And I thought, look, it's like she's detoxed off something. This is really strange. And that's yeah, exactly what it was. The bladder infections, and, and those so urinary we, tract infections yeah. are incredible, what they do to the body um, of an elderly person. And then you throw in dementia. And, I mean, it, it's just... it's. I mean, you just can't even imagine the symptoms that come about. And so uh, it's really important that we track that. I, I wish here in the U.S. that they would almost automatically just take a test, you know, every so often and make sure, you know, send that off ahead of time because the, the behaviors can be so um, so so broad and cause such... Um, grievance within any community if you're caring for somebody at home or if they're in uh, a community of some sort because the behaviors just totally change and it can happen really subtly or it can happen just boom overnight and um, you know it can be not only not 
mm-hmm. not only the behaviours but also the physical response to a bladder infection in an older person. Um, she would get so sick. But mum, uh, mum was prone to bladder infection. She always had been. Um, so, but now I, I was the one who had to look out for them, and and after I, I worked out what I was doing wrong. You know, I'd keep a specimen jar in in, in the house, and then I'd just race down to the doctor. I'd wrap her, I'd wrap mum in the blankets, give her some aspirin to get the fever down, and race down to the doctor with the specimen, and he'd write out a script for that, for the stuff that she wasn't allergic to. And uh, that worked really well. Actually, um, at the moment, there's a, a big scandal breaking in Australia about um, overuse and, well, abuse, we'd have to call it, of um, psychotic medication, antipsychotic medication. And when I first heard about uh, people being over-prescribed with psychotic, antipsychotics. I, I applied this to myself because um, because we had Zyprexa for the delusions, no, not delusions, hallucinations, the little boy who lived on the dining room table. And, and that seemed reasonable. It seemed reasonable to the doctor. Um, but then I've worked, I've since worked out that they're not talking about us. The scandal isn't over people like us who use the the medication for the treating of a, a symptom. They're using it to control the person and and overdosing them to such an extent on this medication that they're bringing on deaths. And so that's just a dreadful, dreadful horror. I only watched this show last night, and I haven't quite absorbed it yet. It, um, I'd still quite like to throttle somebody, but that would be illegal, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, it, it, well, it, old people are so vulnerable, and and the the relatives of of these people, they'd not been consulted. And one of the old, one of the ladies, she was into her nineties. She was calling out in the nights and using vulgar language. I mean, we can cope with this, can't we? And if she's yeah. calling out and disturbing somebody, why is she calling out? You put somebody into care, you'd expect them to be able to think, um, I wonder why she's calling out. Is she upset? Is she uncomfortable? Does she have pain? Let's investigate this instead of just sticking a needle in her arm and drugging her up. Yep, exactly. It was just a horrific thing and, of course, once you've cared for an elderly person, you apply all this. You take this very personally, and uh, I take that very personally. But I just feel so badly for those, for the, the families, because um, one one of the families that dad was quite young. He was only 62, and he was showing reactions, as you would call them. Uh, that were disturbing others, he was uh, sexually inappropriate and and they thought they were doing the right thing for Dad. And um, 12 days later he had died from a stroke. And so it's all being investigated by the coroner, and which is a good thing, but it, it's also a terrible thing because we're still not learning. It, 
there's a nursing home set up for that exact reason in Tasmania. It's called ADARDS, A-D-A-R-D-S, all in capitals. Mm-hmm. If if you Google it, it, it's just a fantastic place. And they wanted to create a, a, an institution that was like a home where people wouldn't be over-medicated and controlled or restrained chemically or physically and be treated with dignity. And when these when their clients get the heebie-jeebies or show aggression or or other unpleasant things that they're taken out as I took mum out and mm-hmm. and it's all set up so cleverly they have disguised doors for wanderers people just roam and are perfectly safe and it really they say it really didn't take that much money to set it up no and, and actually people, it's usually cheaper because hospital admissions are are so expensive, you know, or going to the psychiatric wards, and and it's just it's utilizing those funds to be uh, to give more compassionate care in a different fashion. Yes. And you know, yes. we had talked a little earlier about you know we are so used to, um, and pretty much you know throughout the world, um, though Eastern medicine's a little bit better. Um, with just covering up a symptom. Here's a symptom, so here's the pill, but we don't get to the root of the problems. And in places like you're talking about or Lakeview Ranch here in Minnesota, um, who takes people who have gotten kicked out of multiple places for inappropriate behavior and aggressive behavior and turns them into these docile, loving people that get along. And they do that because they take the time to shadow the person to figure out what's triggering those reactions so that they can remove them. And then they replace, yeah. uh, they replace them with um, good interactive activities that make sense and match the person. Um, so everybody's not yeah. playing bingo or doing whatever it is. They're, they have activities pertinent to the person's interest in history, and that's huge. That's huge. The rest yes. of us would react too, <laughs> you know, and we we mm. forget that, um, you know, that we all uh, we all react. We we just still have our filters intact, where people with dementia those filters fall by the wayside, and they don't feel a need to have to be graceful and polite, um, and they just react to how they're feeling. And so I, I think that that's very important, um, a very important lesson for us to learn. And, and as hard as those investigations are to hear, um, you know, again, I, I always look at everything that's difficult in my life and ask, what's the lesson? And the lesson is we can do it better. We can do it better. Yes. And so hopefully yes. that, that's what will take place there. Um I yes, also, uh, I'm sure it oh, will. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to uh, talk I'm to sure. you about quality of life, um, and this kind of goes into, I think, the whole psychotic medications as well. It probably ties in there. But, you know, how do you define quality of life and awareness, and, and, and how do you define awareness, Um 
Well, defining awareness. I can define quality of life for a person with dementia. It's the same as everybody else. Somebody to love, something to do, something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. I, I think they're the three fundamental needs that we all have. Um, there are misconceptions that we in society have, I think, about people with dementia. And I think a lot of this does get back to the things that we see on television and and perhaps in shows on television. But whenever there's um, information, a story about a possible breakthrough in dementia research, it, the the article or the show on the the information on the television is always accompanied with a scene of people in a nursing home, um, people with severe dementia, as if this is what we don't want to be like, mm -hmm. and people who are heads down, we can't expect anything of them. Um, people the dementia can hide people in shadows. Our mum would go very quiet sometimes. That didn't necessarily mean that she was no longer aware. I mean, we've talked about how aware she was. She was still interested in everything that happened in the family. She was interested in what happened in the world. I can remember discussing American politics with her when um, the elections were on. We disagreed, but but she she was still still there and. Um, in Australia, she she got to vote. It was a real triumph for me. Uh, Mum had her vote had always been so important to her, and um, uh, we're Australian, so it's it's illegal to not vote in Australia. You must vote, and and we we it's our culture. So we look at places like America where uh, it's not compulsory and think, are they crazy? They, they, and she would say, uh, isn't that strange how you don't have to vote or why don't you vote? It's the most, it's it's your right. It's your, it's almost like a physical right to her. Um, so the elections were on and I took her down in the wheelchair and she and the attendant came out could see exactly what what our situation was and she and I asked for help because if you vote for somebody then that's illegal too you um but but the person if the person has uh, reduced capacity then she is able you're able to say how do you want to vote and then she can tell you, I want to vote for so-and-so, and you can write it on the form with the attendant there watching. That's legal. So uh, I just came home so triumphant after that. I don't think anybody else would understand, but it was so important. But to underestimate a person with dementia is to miss out on the relationship, and I think that's a tragedy. Um, my mother, despite all the problems, she was still there in much more than just essence. Uh, I remember the last New Year's Eve we spent together. I probably shouldn't have put this in the book because it's so personal, it's such a personal memory, but I did put it in the book. Um, it, it was New Year's Eve, we, we were going to wait for the fireworks to come on because Sydney does good fireworks. We have the bridge and we always do good fireworks. And I bought her a beer to celebrate New Year's and my brother-in-law came over to say, Happy New Year, Gran. Thank you for the beer, she said to me. 
<laughs> you don't you don't always get the credit, but that doesn't matter. I thought that was really funny. And and so I'd put on one of her DVDs um, or videos that we had to fill in the time to wait till midnight. I think it was one. It would have been um, one of the musicals that we watched, uh, Les Miserables, or Last Night of the Proms. Um, she loved Last Night of the Proms, and I had it on tape. I'm sure she thought it was a new episode every time, but she loved it, and so we watched that. And then we watched the fireworks, and I turned to her, and I said, Happy New Year, Mother. And she turned around to me and said, Happy New Year, my darling. I hope it's a good one for you. Oh. And it was a good one, too. It, it, it was a good year. Oh, talk about just melting. You know, when they have those those moments where they just connect are just, um, they're just incredible. They just melt your heart. And I'm sure that's something you're never, ever going to forget is that conversation, you know, with her and her response and the look in her eyes, the tone of her voice. I mean, those are, those yes. are big moments. Those are, are big, yes. beautiful yeah, and and now I think of it now. What what you've said, the tone, uh, her tone, and the look in her eyes. She was so maternal. It was such a maternal look. I hope it's a good one for you. Oh, and happy New Year, my darling. Yeah, she was still maternal right to the end. Um, well, but we hear of people say that, saying because I can see that in my mom too she would just know when I needed to hear something and even though she doesn't talk very often she just pulls it out and you're right it is that maternal instinct that she because your relationship is just so deep um, you know so much more than just a name and boom it's just there and it just makes you melt when you have those those connections like that they're really really quite something is there anything that you would like to say to other um, carers um, in terms of a journey ahead that they might have with this disease? I would say to do good research, to to read as much as you can or, or to listen to the experiences of other carers so that you can know what, what other people have been through and maybe you, you'll go through this as well, or, or that, that gives you a choice. If you do research, that gives you the, the choice of, of, of choosing whether or not, making a, a reasoned decision whether or not you're going to go with institutional care. I suppose many people would only go with institutional care when they absolutely have to. But even then, uh, you do your research. You, you, if you've got an institution in mind, visit them at a, a time that might seem irregular, at breakfast time or something, so that you get a, a, a reasoned uh, a, a, a view of the place, that that, um, that an overall view that that uh, will help you make a decision. But. I, I think we mustn't take dementia personally. Dementia is an illness and, and we all face illness at some stage in our lives unless we've been exceptionally lucky. So plan, read, um, how, how and if, if you make the decision to care for this person yourself, 
Uh, how do you go about that? What resources are there in your area? How do you access respite? Uh, what about socialization? What support groups are there? Uh, as you've talked about, there, there are um, many Facebook groups now and my sister absolutely hates Facebook. But she, everybody knows your business, she says. I think Facebook's a miracle. I think it's just a godsend. Yeah, everybody does know your business a bit, but you can keep your personals to yourself. But the support that uh, you can get from people all around the world and somebody was having, just for myself, uh, I've no idea why I get such support, why I, how I take support from other people now. I've no idea what, how that works, but um, I feel a connection, and that's very strange, but I still do. But uh, somebody was having a bad day and uh, on Facebook, and and so uh, I added my comments to, to the many that were there. I stopped and thought and before I wrote, and I thought, am I going to just send hugs or feeling for you or something and that's really not me I have to say what I think and otherwise I wouldn't bother and so I mm -hmm. said what I thought and and the next day I I couldn't wait to get on my computer and to say I wonder how he is today and, and write a little note and just he's on the other side of the world to me and he was having a better day the next day and he says, um, thank you all my dear friends. You would know the person. But um, I, I, think, I think it's very important to remember that we can't blame a person for getting ill. Relationships are not made up of a set of symptoms. And if, if you learn as much about dementia and the tactics that other people use and the mistakes that people like me made, um, then you won't do the same, then you'll be streets ahead and, and then that gives you the opportunity to concentrate on the relationship and the quality of life for the person you care for. Because the symptoms can be formidable, they can be. Um, but over those years that I cared for mum, we had bad days, we had very bad days. But we still laughed and we talked all the time we even got impatient with each other and uh, I hope that comes out in the book because the relationship was important to me I mean love is a selfish thing I suppose and I loved my mother but, but if mum was angry or upset I would get angry and upset back uh, and then I'd think come on try and work out why and then you distract, you change direction, you bring in a happier atmosphere. And I found it worked. It worked. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just so lucky to have been able to look after her. She she died in hospital. Mum died in hospital. She, she was ill. Um, it, we were approaching the fourth Christmas and and we had all these parties planned. The, the, we have an institution called the Community Transport Bus, which is another godsend. Uh, the bus will pick you up, take you to a shopping centre, leave you for a couple of hours, 
and come back and pick you up and it's just a wonderful thing and they had some really good trips and we we made the, the most of it and for Christmas they were going to take people around to look at the Christmas lights and then we were going to have dinner and I still remember the date uh, which uh, that's how important it was to us it was the 30th of November that we were going to go and look at the date the the Christmas lights and and um, and have a party afterwards but we we missed all of that because mum was sick and I was taking her backwards and forwards to the doctor and it, cancer had never crossed my mind I I knew uh, I would say she's dying she's dying isn't she and then she'd get delusions and want to go home and I think oh yeah see she's alright <laughs> she's going home again <laughs> Um, but I, I knew in my heart of hearts that she wasn't all right. And um, it was the day after Christmas, Boxing Day. Uh, she shunned even her morning cup of tea, which was not like Mum at all. And and so I, I said to her, Mum, do you think you should be in a hospital? Because I'm worried that she might, might be dehydrated. And she said, I have been wondering. Because um, for the... Uh, the been going on for about six weeks I think six to eight weeks she'd be lying in bed and I'd, I'd read to her I've read a lot to mum and and um, painkillers and uh, nausea tablets and other tablets and it, nothing seemed to be working so um, so we took her to hospital and there she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer actually she died before the official diagnosis came back but um it was all over in a matter of days oh wow so that was yeah it was um pretty hard but i did have that um period before the six to eight weeks where i was thinking this is the death march isn't it and uh i knew and oh, it was I'm awful, sorry. but uh, even she, we were trying to get her home with palliative care so she could die in her own bed. And back to awareness, she said to her nurse that night that she died, she said, I'm dying, I just want my own bed. And um, that's what we tried to get for her, but it didn't, it didn't happen. Uh-huh. But it, at least the, the rotten cancer didn't go on for a long time, so... Yeah, that, that's, that's a blessing. That's a blessing, yeah. It's just, uh, you know, I've had, you know, 30 years to prepare for my mom's death, and I, I know I'll never be ready for it, even though she's no, been in the nursing home for 11, and she's been in her end stages for four. Um, I mean, I've, I've thought so many times that she was going to go, and she's still, you know, healthy and hanging in there, and it's just not her time yet, and... You know, I I hope, um, you know, I I hope I deal with it okay. I think it's going to be very difficult, um, very difficult time, even though you logically can prepare for it. Um, She's just such an intricate part of my life, you know. um, Yes. You know, everything I do um, now. It's what you do. Yeah, it is because of her. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. 
Um, now, I know that you're starting to do some speaking to groups and things, and um, I'm just interested in what kind of response you've been getting kind of from your book, and and um, if you want to tell us a, a little bit more about the book, too, and what people can expect to find um, in reading it. Well, the book, I, I've put in um, as much practical information as I could think of, that I thought would be of use um, and it's divided into sections uh, the symptoms uh, the I should have brought it over with me shouldn't I that was dopey um, <laughs> it wasn't that dopey uh, then I could just rattle off the uh, index for you but uh, yes uh, so I've described the symptoms and and the and put in mum's delusions. She also had the baby delusion. So we, I've talked about all of that extensively and how we dealt with it uh, and what worked and what didn't work. And and then at, at the in the second part of the book, I kept a journal the whole time that I was caring for her because I wanted... And, and that's something that I can recommend to people who care for somebody else because this is mum's end of days. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to miss a beat. You really, that's how you feel when you're a carer. You really don't want to miss a beat. And I, um, because we forget, we forget conversations. My yep. sister and I forget things from our childhood. She has a different memory than I have sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and if you've got it written down, you can say, well, actually, no, she said this, this, and this. And, and so that, the, the last part of the book is life with dementia and um, there was a time when I got sick I got a really bad bronchial infection and I should have gone to the doctor of course but I didn't and it just I just felt like I was dying and um, back to what you were saying how, how people pick up on our moods or it's the same with children isn't it if you shout at a child you're one teaching them to shout at other people, two yeah. making them um, changing their their perception of themselves and their relationship with you. So uh, when um, when I was sick, I I just knew that um, she would have delusions. I was lying on the lounge full of aspirin, thinking, "Oh, please, Mum," because Schindler's List came on TV. And I thought, please, Mum, watch, watch this. She remembered it, of course. Well, not of course, but she did remember it. I was very pleased to see. Uh, say, to, I was pleased to see her remember. I should say, um, she remembered the spectacle that it was and the horror that it was. And we watched it together um, when it first came out. And I was hoping she would watch it again, but now it had become too depressing, and. And then she got delusions and wanted to go home. And I said, oh, no, I just want to curl up and sleep on the lounge. But so whenever uh, delusions make no allowance for for how you are. And and in actual fact, uh, I found that whenever I had problems, um, they seemed to be fanned, uh, mum's, problems seem to be fanned by my problems so it's it, it was really important to her to know that I was all right too and mm-hmm. when I'd um, put her to bed and and she'd say now you get to bed too darling you know uh, 
and yes, yeah, so so the second part of the book is uh, life with dementia, and it's a diary um, of. I mean, I very much reduced it from my own notes, of course, but um, a diary uh, one day after the other of what happened. So hopefully um, people can relate to it, or the, they even if people look at some of the things that I did and said and say, oh, I wouldn't have said that to my mother. That's good too because you're still prompting ideas. You're still keeping the communication channels open. So I think that that's still helpful. Yeah, and again, it's, so it's I, something I do someone tries. And, people. Yeah, and we all do things I'm sorry, uh, Laurie, I missed that bit. Oh, I was just going to say it's okay if if what you do doesn't fit somebody else or what they do doesn't fit your particular need and it might and it might work for you 6 months from now and something that you can't even fathom doing today. You know, depending on where things are at with the disease, both with the 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 uh patient and with yourself and with the circumstances around you. Um it's constantly yes. changing. And um, it's it's just good to have the conversation, to talk about these things, to get educated, um, to learn, um, you know, what are your options, what are some techniques, what what possibly could happen. Because if you have an idea of those possibilities, a lot of times we can avoid them. And this is a great way for us to learn from others, like you said, others' mistakes um, or you know, a person might, you know, a lot of times us as caregivers, we feel like we've made mistakes and others think that we're big heroes, but we can still see how it could still improve. And so, yes. you know, listening to those who have walked who have walked the line and um, been on the path, um, there's just so much to have. And, and I think anyone who's been on the path will tell you there is, there is no right or wrong it's just learning how to survive and even more than survive really embrace the disease so that you don't you know when i when i think of the word survive i think of so much that's being given up and lost and when i think of it as being embraced there's so much more to gain because there is it's just a it's another phase of life and there's more lessons to learn there's there's uh, different connections to be made so you know don't don't rule that out you know um be- no and and for me it was a wonderful phase of my life i uh, you you don't want to see your own beloved mother suffer of course you don't but um i i was privileged to be able to care for her and even throughout the the struggles that she had there was still unity between us and mm-hmm. and so I, I just feel I just so lucky just so lucky yeah to be able to do it yeah that's how that's how I feel too and um you know I tell people all yes. the time it's it's really been a gift and people go how can it how can it you know it just doesn't make any sense and I'm like it's just it's really really simple it just it truly is a gift um, to look at life in a different fashion from what you ever thought was possible is is a gift. Yes. You know. So yes. well, I, 
thank you so much for spending so much time with us tonight. We've been on the phone almost a, an hour and a half here with you. Is there um, how can people get a hold of um, either you or your book? Um, I know that there's a website where people can go and purchase that, and that is uh, connorcourt.com. www c o r Oh, no, it's not. It's C-O-N-N-O-R-C-O-U-R-T.com, Connor Court. And if you put your name, um, you know, even just your last name, Sindel, S-I-N-D-E-L, into the search bar, which is up in the upper right-hand corner of that particular website, um, the book will pop up um, and is very easy to find. But if if anyone is interested in maybe um, having you come and speak, is there a way that they could get a hold of you, or do you want them to go through me and then I can connect you, or um, are you comfortable giving out? Well, uh, um, uh, I'm on Facebook. Yes, yes, I'm on Facebook and and Twitter, so um, I'm available there. Uh, actually, you know, the easiest way to find the book is to Google caring for somebody with dementia and it comes up straight up oh, okay, <laughs> the, great. the first record it, it just comes straight up Wonderful. But, um, so it, it's easy to find but you have to google somebody not someone caring for somebody with dementia I, okay. I, I really want to thank you Laurie for everything I've, I've, I, I don't know why I feel so um, nourished to be able to when I speak about when I speak with people about dementia and when I talk about dementia but I, I've no idea but it just seems to me that mum's struggles weren't in vain and and that there's validation um, our relationship remained firm to the end and and it's and I, I thank you very much for understanding and and for having me on your show uh, you're a tonic. Oh, well, you really you know, do I, understand, and and uh, I I just feel quite privileged. So I don't want to rave on. I'm not a, a sentimental sort of person, but I I really am grateful. It's been lovely talking to you. Well, it's been a, I, it's I been a great informative um, show, and I and I think one of the reasons that uh, talking about it makes you feel good is because it gives purpose. And it it shows that because um, I, I know that's how I feel with with my mom's life. It's this hasn't all been for naught. There's a reason yes. um, that that we were picked to go through this and um, help raise the voice and help the next guy. I re- I really firmly believe that's what it's all about. And everybody yes. in life wants to have purpose, and so do our people with dementia. So we have to figure out. What gives them purpose? Um, what connects them to the world? And not isolate them, not drug them, so that they can't um, connect. Uh, it, you know, and just make them docile so they're easier to deal with. That's just, um, you know, that's cruel and, and inhumane in my eyes um, because we're we're oh. not being person-centered care when we're doing that, um, and we we speak those words all the time. Um, but we're trying to squeeze squeeze the peg um, into the wrong size hole, you know, by doing that. 
So again, I thank you yeah. so much for being for being with us. And again, for those of you that want to reach out to um, Meredith, you can find her um, on Facebook, and that's Meredith Sindel S I N D E L. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close the show. Again, I want to thank everybody for listening. And if you liked the show, please uh, please like it on uh, on our radio page. And if you have a Twitter account, if you wouldn't mind tweeting uh, about the program, or you can always shoot it in an email. Um, but help us spread the word because, again, none of us are here alone. And um, Alzheimer's Speaks is all about being collaborative and trying to help um, someone else out there struggling with this disease or wanting to get educated about the disease. Um, think, you know, to yourself, would you make an, uh, a good guest for the show? If so, give me a holler. I would love to talk to you. Again, uh, we interview people that have dementia. We interview people um, who are caring for those with dementia and people who are advocates. So if you've got if you've got an idea and you feel it's time for your voice to be heard, please reach out to me. Um, last, I just want to remind you of some upcoming shows. And I'm very excited to say on the 20th, I'll have uh, Kaya with us. And Kaya went on a journey with her mother as well. And she is a spiritual leader, and she's just going to bring, I think, some new things to the forefront on how she found uh, to deal with her mother and meet her where she was. And we're also going to have Joseph uh, Joseph with us, who is with a home health care company. On the 23rd, we're going to have another uh, executive producer of a film called Shattered Love. And then on the 28th, Vicki Kind is going to be with us, and she is an incredible woman who really helps people struggling with ethical decisions. And then we on that show um, with Vicki on the 28th, the second half, uh, Joe Panaxi is going to be with us, and Joe is living with dementia. And so we're going to hear what it's like for him and what he would like to see as far as changes in the world. So, again, I thank you all for listening, and I look forward to our future episodes and hope you call in and use your chat box to communicate with us. Thank you. Good night now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.